Hey, for those of you that I've yet to meet, my name is Prentice. Go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, I get to be the lead pastor here, and it's been a privilege to do so. Uh, and, and again, whether you're watching online, I know we still have many people watching online. want to welcome you as well. Glad that you're joining us. Uh, and those that will be watching sometime this week, uh, again, so glad that you were able to join us because uh, we get to start a new series this week uh, called One Another. Uh, and it's looking at different ways that the Bible uses the term one another, particularly in the words of Jesus. Uh, and we'll be looking at different uh, ways that this phrase is used, love one another, bear with one another, sing with one another, love one another, and forgive one another, and all of these one another's. And what a timely, timely Time to be speaking of how we need to be treating one another uh, and looking at the way that God calls us to love and treat and be in relationship with others. And so uh, with all the changes that are happening, with all the mess that's happening in the world, uh, and, and again, even changes in our own church uh, with, this, with this transition, just to reiterate, uh, Pastor Richard, for those of you that are new to Bethany, we are one of six locations. Uh, and uh, we have a senior pastor. So, so each pastor of each location, we have six, uh, we are lead pastors. And then there is a senior pastor who's essentially everybody's boss as far as the pastors are concerned. Uh, and there's a big transition. Again, some of you don't even know who Richard Dahlstrom is, but he's been around for uh, 20-something years uh, as the senior pastor. And so uh, this is a huge deal for the life of our church, and I'm so glad that you're here to take part and witness and to uh, engage in that as well. And so with all these changes, with, with this pandemic, with the mess of the world, what a timely message to be learning about how God wants us not only to treat one another and to love one another, but to actually be in community, to be in relationship with others and in a time where it's so easy to, to ignore that or, or to say that we don't need somebody else or we don't need friendships, we don't need depth. And trust me, as a, as a fellow introvert, if any of you can hear me out there, uh, this is a, a hard lesson, but it's an important one for us to learn and to grasp. And so with that said, our text this morning comes from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 12 to 14. And for the reading of God's word, can I have all of us just stand For just as the body is one and, as, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in, for in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. God, thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that you've called us to be part of this body, to, to this community, to be seen, to see, to love, to be loved, and to be a light in this world that is oftentimes seen as dark. 
And so we thank you for that love, for the church, for us, even in our own brokenness and our own messiness. But in the midst of that, by your grace and by your mercy, may we be a beacon of hope and be transformed closer and closer to your image so the world can see that there's good news in the world. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. A few years ago, speaking of Bethany Green Lake, uh, before I was the pastor here at Bethany West Seattle, uh, I was working with college students uh, at uh, Bethany in Green Lake. Uh, and I was mentoring a group of guys uh, and leading a small group uh, at Seattle Pacific University. And I remember going to uh, one of the dorms to, to hang out with some of the guys and to have a Bible study. And one guy pulled me aside and said, Prentice, I have great news said, okay, what is your great news? He said, uh, hey, remember that, uh, that girl that I was interested in and, and that I wanted to get to know and, and do the Christian thing, take her to coffee? Uh, and I said, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. He said, well, guess what? I got her phone number. I got her cell phone number. Uh, and I said, okay, great. And, she, he, and he was ecstatic about it. And I said, okay, it's been a couple days. Did you, did you call her yet? Uh, did you set up a coffee date? Uh, and, and he responded and said, well, first of all, Prentice, uh, we don't call, okay? We text. And I said, all right, sorry. Have you texted her? And he said, second of all, no, I did not text her yet because it's only been two days. <clears throat> okay? Well, two days. That seems plenty of time to, uh, to reach out to her. I know you. I won't say his name. I know you very well. You're either going to be playing video games uh, or you're going to be on Netflix or maybe, just maybe, you'll be doing some homework. But I know you have time. It's been two days. Why did you not call or text her? And he, and he said, Prince, I can't call under three days. Don't you know the rule, the three-day rule. And I said, what is a three-day rule? And he said, I can't reach out to someone I'm interested before three days because I will come off as either desperate or, heaven forbid, needy. If I call her or text her within three, three days, he says, then I will be seen as needy. And I didn't quite understand, but I know that there's, you know, in the dating world, there's these games and there's these things that you do. And he says, one of the rules is you don't call under three days. And see, the reality is, and I know this is a silly example, but it's this kind of thinking that's indicative to how many of us feel about the very fact that we were created not only to be in community, but to need other people. The truth is we need other people. We need other people in our lives. We need to know and be known by others. And for many of us, the very thought of this makes us cringe. Now, I'm not going to get into enmeshment and codependency and health, unhealthy attachments. Uh, I, that's a thing that's, that's there. That's a whole separate conversation. But for this morning, instead, I want to simply set up the framework that we were created to need one another, and it's a good thing. It's no wonder that the first time that God said that something was not good was when Adam, the first human, was alone. The very first time that God said that it was very good is when there was Eve, and there was community, there was friendship, there was intimacy, 
It was Adam and Eve. But our society has made it seem as if acknowledging our need for others makes us weak. And maybe not only weak, but it makes us feel like there's something wrong with us when we need other people. This is particularly true since the, the Industrial Revolution in the 1800s. Our society shifted from more of an uh, agrarian society where families and communities were interconnected to a more urbanized one. With the introduction of technology and factories and jobs outside of one's community, uh, there was also an introduction of class. There was upper class, middle class, working class, and so forth. And this shifted us from a more of a societal collectivism. Before the Industrial Revolution, there was a collectivism. People worked at the same place, on the same farm, in the same crops. There was family, there was togetherness. And with the Industrial Revolution in the 1800s and really beginning of the 1700s, there was a shift to this, what scholars would call a radical individualism or a rugged individualism. Where we have sayings like, all you have to do now is pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Work harder than everybody else. Or if you believe it, you can achieve it. And if you don't achieve it, then it's your fault. And while these are really well intended, it doesn't account for the power dynamics, systemic and structural racism and marginalization and sexism. And not only that, but it instigates this perpetual you versus me kind of rugged individualistic attitude that there can only be one winner. And that in order to be a winner, that there needs to be a loser. And in this world, that we need to be winners. And it's easy for you to do that. You can do it on your own. You can do it if you believe it. You can do it if you, again, pull yourself up from your bootstraps. But let me just say, this kind of attitude, this kind of mentality, this kind of worldview, this kind of philosophy, this is a lonely, lonely place to be. There was a famous sociologist named Robert Putman. He's known for a book called Bowling Alone. It's kind of an older book, uh, but his latest work is around relationships and friendships. And he says that in his recent research, in his most recent studies of surveys of hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of people, it showed that 40% of American adults, this is post-school, 40% of American adults have zero to one confidant. And I don't just mean a buddy or someone you see at work or someone, you know, you see at a club or something. It's a friendship of depth, a friendship of intimacy, a friendship of meaning, a friendship where you can truly be yourself and be vulnerable and just process life with all the good, all the mess, everything in between. In his research, it says the American adult, the average, has either zero, zero, none, none of that kind of friendship, or one. I know that's just a study of surveys. I know that's not everybody in this room, but that is the world that we live in today. In a 2010, a little bit older study done at BYU, uh, they found that loneliness can shorten a person's life by 15 years. 
or have the same impact as somebody smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, you can do your own fact-checking on this. This is based on this research. And some reasons, it was related to stress, cortisol, addiction, mental health, high blood pressure, inflammation, strokes, and a plethora of more. Former U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy says this, and this is fascinating. He says, during my years of caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. The article continues, and it says, Americans are the loneliest people on the face of this planet. Now, I hate to be very bad news, but to make matters even worse is that sociologists now are saying that we are living, and really starting from the age of the Internet, uh, living in a new revolution called the information revolution. The information revolution. With the rise of the Internet and, again, other technologies, we have a seemingly lesser need for friendships, for intimacy, for others. And we see this in the real world. We see freelancers who, who don't go to work. They actually work from home. And many of us, due to this pandemic, work from home. And again, these are all good things too. But it creates another challenge in this gift. We have gig workers who work for themselves by themselves. We have online schooling from elementary to the doctorate level. We don't even have to go shopping anymore to grocery stores or malls, or we don't even have to go to movie theaters or restaurants because we have all of those things delivered in the comforts of our own homes. And trust me, I use these apps and these benefits often, probably too much according to my wife, in my life. And maybe you do too. So again, these are actually good things, but can also create problems in our society. And not only these things, but it continues, this industrial, this, or sorry, this information revolution continues as polarization with our social media. And I don't know about you, but do you ever look at your social media and what you don't know is oftentimes what we see are people's highlight reels, all the good things, and not even a good day, maybe a good moment, maybe a good few seconds of their lives, and we compare ourselves, and we either create the sense of, uh, of envy or jealousy or even hatred, uh, or even a sense of own self-deprecation, because my life doesn't look like their life, and when reality, what we, under, what we may not understand is their life doesn't even look like that. And so with social media... And this comparison game and even polarization because, you know, I've seen friendships break. I've seen families split because what we see on the Internet and what people post and what people, you know, how people respond to other people's posts. I've seen it. I've seen it. And many of us, we've seen it as either the perpetrator or, the, or witnesses of verbal attacks and assaults around politics and worldviews and ethics and religion and beliefs. And we've seen all of this. And again, this is all during a pandemic where we are forced to cover our faces, to limit our social interactions, to take our food to go, or sit at tables with literal barriers in front of us and behind us. And again, I'm not saying that these aren't for good reasons. These are actually for good reasons. But it's the world that we live in today. 
It's a very lonely place, and it seems to only get lonelier by the day. And so we either surround ourselves with nobody, or we surround ourselves with an echo chamber, with people that think the same as us, that look the same as us, that eat the same foods as us, that speak the same language as us, that, that, you know, that make the same amount of money as us. And this is not good either. If not, this is worse, because then this creates a tribalism. And tribalism, at its worst, is not just not community, it's actually anti-community. Because in these areas of tribalism, instead of surrounding yourself uh, upon a common love or a common interest, you surround yourself with others around a common hate. And not what you're for, but what you are against. And maybe this morning you feel all of this. And trust me, loneliness isn't contingent upon marital status or how many friends you have on Facebook or Instagram or social media. It doesn't even matter if you have a roommate or not. It has nothing to do with any of that. Some of the loneliest people I've talked to were married. Someone once said to me, he said, there's nothing lonelier than when somebody is so close, yet so far. The common denominator is not marital status or how many friends you have on social media, but it's the lack of intimate connections in your life. And I don't know about you, but given the mess of this world, there are moments where I feel really alone. Now, in our text today, Paul is saying there's there's a better way. In the midst of this revolution, in the midst of technology, in the midst of so many reasons why we don't need the other, or worse, we think needing somebody is actually a sign of weakness. In the midst of all of that, those false ideologies, Paul is saying there's a better way to live and there's a better way to think about relationships. But it begins with, first of all, this fundamental truth that we need each other. We need community. Our hearts were designed to hunger for it. So in this text that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, a couple preliminary observations. Paul planted churches in Corinth. It was a very thriving and really an urban society. See, where Corinth was geographically was like a melting pot. It, it was this little city that connected two big regions. It was Greece, the, main, the mainland of Greece, uh, and this peninsula, the, the uh, uh, a peninsula that brought about a lot of trade, a lot of different people. And in this epicenter was Corinth. It was a place that was experiencing their own industrialization. And inside Corinth, in earlier Corinthians, chapter 1 and 2, uh, Paul was saying, in this world uh, of this melting pot of different ideas and different teachers, Paul is saying, what I see is tribalism. He specifically says that some of you are followers of me, Paul. Some of you are followers of Peter. Some of you are followers of Apollos. And what Paul is saying, none of us should be at the center. It should be on God. 
And, and so here in Corinth, we see some of the things that we've seen in our lifetime, in our world. We've seen industrialization of where the region was, where there's people coming in from all areas of life. We see a tribalism, people following different teachers, and not only following different teachers, but then saying, that teacher is wrong. There was a belief, a misbelief in the hierarchy of gifts. People thought that certain spiritual gifts were better and bigger than others. Hence, we see classism. Now, I love the way that Eugene Peterson actually rewrites 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> Verse 12 to 14, he says this, and this is, I love this. Eugene Peterson says, your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots. But then we entered into a large and integrated life in which God has the final say in everything. This is what we ought to proclaim in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now part of his resurrected body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. And I love this part. It says, the old labels we, used, we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. See, what Paul is doing is as he's, he's debunking an actual thought of the day. That particular gifts, such as speaking in tongues and prophesying, were bigger and better gifts and higher on the hierarchical structure of gifts. And what Paul is saying that this is wrong thinking. And, and all of us, when we read this now, it's like, well, no, duh. But during this time, that's not the way they thought. During this time in Corinth, they really thought there was a hierarchy of gifts. And Paul is debunking that myth and saying, you know what? There isn't a hierarchy. Everybody is one. Everybody is equal under the banner of Jesus. And the reason why this was so important is that those people that thought that their gifts were so much better than others believed that they didn't need them. Essentially, they were saying to themselves, because I have the best gifts, because I have the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, I'm at the top of the food chain and I don't need anybody else. And and Paul is calling out that arrogance, that to believe, and this is actually a message for us today. I know that there's extenuating circumstances for the most part for many of us to believe that we don't need anybody else, to believe that to need somebody is weak, to believe that we don't need community. What Paul is saying is that that's nothing short of arrogance. And please hear that with love by your pastor. And this is a saying that I need to say to myself. My own desire to be by myself, my own introvertedness, which is absolutely true. I need boundaries. I need self-care. I need all of that. And you can have all of that. But at the end of the day, when we truly believe that we don't need others, Paul is indicating that that is nothing short of arrogance. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, again, a few verses down, he says, and he uses a body as, a, as an example. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, okay, so like, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, are indispensable, what Paul is saying is, is illustrating, uh, uh, especially the church, especially the church, we are like a body, and, and we need one another. And, and, he, and what he's saying is a hand cannot say to another body part, I don't need you. The words, I don't need you, is a false nomenclature. It's a false ideology is what Paul is saying. In fact, the very opposite. He says, on the contrary, so the opposite of I don't need you is I need you. He's saying we need one another. The myth of one gift being better than the other. The gift of you can do life by yourself. The American industrialized myth of just pull your bootstraps by yourself. The myth of, hey, if you, you, got, if you want to get it done, you got to get it done right. Hey, uh, all those things Paul is saying, no, 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 I want to debunk all of that. And Paul is saying we need each other. And again, I know that for many of us, that is so uncomfortable. And I know it is for me, someone who is so proud to be so independent and so driven and so, you know, you know self-starter. I don't like hearing any of this. But it's the truth. We need one another. We need everybody's different lived experiences. It's important do you come from a different culture? Do you eat different foods? Do you have a different belief? Do you have a different theology? Do you have a different worldview? Do you have a different ethic? Guess what? I want to be in conversation with you. Guess what? I think I can learn from you. Guess what? I think you can learn from me too. The diversity and how God created us is a benefit. It's not a deficit. And again, we can learn and grow from one another. In fact, we can only grow and learn from each other. I believe, I truly believe that, yes, God speaks to us in personal and intimate ways, but God also speaks to other people to grow us. God sends people our way. God brings people, brings conversations and these opportunities for us to learn something about ourselves and about God and about life. It's through other people. And yet, when we are just by ourselves or we surround ourselves in an echo chamber, We self-select out. We're not able to experience this blessing. I love what one writer says. He says, I think comparing notes, and this is really when he says notes, he's saying our own life experiences, what we believe, our worldviews, our ethics, or what we believe about God. He says, I think comparing notes in a civil way is the antidote to a polarized society in which we don't understand a point of view other than our own. I think comparing notes in a civil way is the antidote to a polarized society. I love that. And what Paul is saying, here's what we should be doing instead. Instead of seeking out our own lives, instead of our own uh, being isolated and insulated, he says this. And maybe if you've ever been to a wedding, you may have heard these verses in the next chapter. Let me just read this to you. He says, this is the way we should live. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. 
It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And this is where weddings, you know, and I do this too, they eliminate the end of verse 8, where it says this, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, another gift, a spiritual gift, it will pass away. You see, these verses originally weren't meant to be just said at weddings, although that, it's a good thing. This is what love looks like. But the context in which Paul is writing 1 Corinthians 13 is in context of 1 Corinthians 12, that we must love everybody in this matter, not just someone you marry, but everybody in the church and even outside the church, that we should love in a way that is patient, that is kind, that does not envy, that does not boast. And that's why the end of verse 8 is really important because he's referencing this context. He's saying, you think you're better than somebody else because you have the gift of prophecy. But guess what? The prophecies are going to go away. You think you're better than somebody because you have the gift of tongues. Well, guess what? Those are going to be stilled. At the end of the day, what God is calling us to is first acknowledge and accept God's love for us. And John 13, 34 says, a new command I give you, love one another, love one another. What does love look like? First Corinthians 13, is, it's not just for the person you marry, it's for everybody around you. A new command I give you, love one another, and this is the kicker, this is the most important part of this. Jesus says, as I have loved you, you must love others. So the love that we give isn't just spurred on by our own power and our own strength. Because let me tell you, and I'll be honest with you, even as a pastor, if I had to love people on my own strength, I would fail and fail time after time after time. But what God is calling us to is to understand the way that God has loved us through his son, Jesus, who died on the cross on our behalf. So that, way, so that way we may experience life and everlasting life and be in relationship to God our Father through his son Jesus. That kind of sacrificial love is the love that we need to accept and understand and it's through that love we can love others. And so this morning, my hope, and this isn't an altar call experience, I'm not having you bow your heads and close your eyes or raise your hand or come up to the front, but this is an important message. If you do not know the love of Jesus, can I just remind you that you are so loved? Whether you're watching, whether you see this, whether you come across this online on accident, and really it wouldn't be an accident, hear this, that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross on your behalf so you can experience life and life everlasting. And I would love for you to hear more about that story. And it's with that love, and for those of you that claim to be a follower of Jesus like myself, it is with that resurrected love that we have the strength and the power to love others. And it's active. It's a verb. We can't do that by ourselves. We can't do that sitting at our own house watching Netflix. It requires being in community. And community is so hard, isn't it? 
being in a relationship is so hard. It's so much easier to say, you know what, I don't want to mess with that. You know what, I'm busy. I I work from 8 to 5, and some of you more than that. I don't have time to make phone calls. I don't have time to, to hang out with people. I don't have time to check in. I don't have time for these conversations because I'm trying to live my own life. Relationships are hard. Community is hard. But it's what God calls us to. You know, I even think about small groups. You know, we have small groups at our church that are meant specifically for this. There's not a lot of times where I'm very directive, especially in the pulpit. But I want to be very directive here. Please join a small group. We have several different small groups for you to join. Anywhere from alpha classes where you can learn, especially if you're new to faith, this is such a great class, a great group for you to just learn more about faith in the context of safety and community and vulnerability. There's other groups. I'm leading a group, and, you know, there's so many other group leaders. And you can do that by going online. This isn't a sales pitch. This is just a a fact that relationships can't really happen on Sunday mornings. They happen not in rows but in circles. And so please join one. Or even outside of that, maybe there's people that you haven't talked to in a long time, and, and God is calling you to make that phone call. Do it. Maybe it's time to reconcile with somebody. Do it. Maybe it's somebody that you need to forgive or, or ask for forgiveness. Just do it. Because we are living in a life of, uh, in a world of so much isolation right now, of so much loneliness. And, and statistically, with, with this many people watching or, or here, I know that you're feeling it. I'm feeling it, especially in this pandemic. You can't do life alone. I can't do life alone. And I hate saying that out loud. But it's true. I love this. I'll end with this. C.S. Lewis says this in one of his books. And, and at the time, I'll invite the worship team back up for us to just reflect. He says, love, <clears throat> C.S. Lewis says this, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. And thus, if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, your heart, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. Yeah, the easy thing is to just not give your heart away not to be in community. That's the easiest thing to do. Not to sacrifice your time, your emotions. That's easy. But God is calling us to a different life, a life that includes the need of others to be in relationship of intimacy. And without it, we will experience that void. Our God is a relational God. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Theologians, they call that relational Trinitarianism. God is a relational God. God created us to be in relationship. Will you live that out? In a world that says, no, you don't need that. May we live radically different and say, yes, and there's nothing wrong with that. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have created 
us, one another. You have created the church, not just Bethany West Seattle, not just Bethany Community Church, but the capital C, church, universal, for us to do life with each other. That's centered upon your life, death, and resurrection. That is through your spirit we are moved to love and have the strength to love others. There's even people that we may not see eye to eye with. And so, God, in this really polarized, echo chambery kind of world, may we send a different message that we can learn from the Imago Day that everybody possesses your image. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us a heart to give and to receive. God, convict us right now. Are we living a life of our own selfishness? of our own arrogance, believing that we don't need somebody else. And if that's the truth, and if that's real for us, God, change our hearts, soften our hearts. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's continue in worship together as a community with a shared voice.